Dear Father in heaven, thank you Lord for giving us the privilege and opportunity to fellowship with you. Father in heaven, we need your grace as we are getting deeper and deeper into the hour of temptation. We need help from above in order for us to continue our journey in this wicked world. Therefore, Lord, we pray as we fellowship with you, please may this moments spent with you supply to us the strength that we need for our journey give us the manna that we may eat that would strengthen us edify us with your word lord i commit myself unto your care please lord may i speak as the oracles of god put your words in my mouth lord and may you touch my lips that it may speak words of blessing and edification to your children in jesus name i've prayed amen Conflict and Courage, June 9. No one sorry. All of you have conspired against me, and there is none of you that is sorry for me. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 8. The spirit of evil was upon Saul. He felt that his doom had been sealed by the solemn message of his rejection from the throne of Israel. His departure from the plain requirements of God was bringing its sure results. He did not turn and repent and humble his heart before God, but opened it to receive every suggestion of the enemy. He listened to every false witness, eagerly receiving anything that was detrimental to the character of David, and hoping that he might find an excuse for manifesting his increasing envy and hatred of him who had been anointed to the throne of Israel. Every rumor was credited, no matter how inconsistent and irreconcilable it was with the former character and custom of David. Every evidence that the protecting care of God was over David seemed to embitter and deepen his one engrossing and determined purpose. The failure to accomplish his own designs appeared in marked contrast to the success of the fugitive in eluding his search, but it only made the determination of the king the more unrelenting and firm. He was not careful to conceal his designs toward David, nor scrupulous as to what means should be employed in accomplishing his purpose. It was not the man David who had done him no harm against whom the king was contending. He was in controversy with the king of heaven. For when Satan is permitted to control the mind that will not be ruled by Jehovah, he will lead it according to his will, until the man who is thus in his power becomes an efficient agent to carry out his designs. So bitter is the enmity of the great originator of sin against the purposes of God. So terrible is his power for evil that when men disconnect from God, Satan influences them and their minds are brought more and more into subjection 
until they cast off the fear of God and the respect of men and become bold and avowed enemies of God and of his people. God hates all sin. And when man persistently refuses all the counsel of heaven, he is left to the deceptions of the enemy. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is No One Sorry. After the conquest of David, the Lord blessed him because the Lord had placed his spirit upon him as he was a man after God's own heart. The Lord placed his spirit upon him and prospered him in whatever he did. In 1 Samuel 17 verse 55 to 58, there we see Saul inquiring to know who David was. Abner brought David to Saul. And in verse 57 it says, And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. From here, we didn't know what was in Saul's mind, but as we go on, we will understand. Now in the book of First Samuel chapter 18, it says from verse 5 and david went and went out whithersoever saul sent him and behaved himself wisely and saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of saul's servants and it came to pass as they came when david was returned from the slaughter of the philistine that the woman came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands and Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him and he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as, the, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went out and came in before them. Amen. Now we see the spirit of envy showing itself in its murderous fashion. David was about to be killed by King Saul because he had done absolutely nothing against King Saul, but that he was fulfilling the will of God, which Saul refused to fulfill. As we read in our devotion that this spirit of envy was upon Saul. It is the spirit of envy. Here we see it again. Have you noticed that as we've been studying the word of God, it has come up again and again and again. Do you see that many times what we suffer as human beings is not really this 
gross sins that many of us may love to talk about, which we also need to overcome, of course. The sins of the flesh that has to come in the indulgence of the fleshly desires. But there is another way the flesh is indulged, which is within our spirit. The sins of the spirit that we may, that we may call it, which is this sin of envy, jealousy, hatred, pride, malice. It's a terrible sin. It was what Satan indulged in heaven that brought about the misery that all of us are passing through today because of sin. It came through covetousness, envy, jealousy. And this spirit was being manifest in King Saul. And you see how terrible it is. Through envy, David was about to be killed by King Saul, but the Lord protected him. Every victory of David was a joy for Jonathan. But a sorrow for King Saul because in the book of First uh, Samuel chapter 18 there it says and it came to pass when he made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now Jonathan loved David but Saul hated him. Why? Jonathan was not seeking for his own glory but Saul was seeking for his own glory. Every victory of David was a joy for Jonathan, but a sorrow for Saul because of his desire for self-exaltation, his pride and his concern for himself and not for Israel. He wished that it was him that killed Goliath. He wished it was him that conquered the Philistines. He wished to be adored and praised like David. When it became too much for him to bear, he had to send David away from himself. Eventually, he couldn't hide his murderous designs anymore and decided to go all out to kill David. Saul tried to kill David by setting him up against the Philistines twice, denied him marriage to his first daughter, and then gave him a mandate say, go and kill the Philistines and I'll give you Milcah, my second daughter. When he did this, it still didn't work out in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 19. He then tried to do something even worse. Starting from verse 1, it says, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he has not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and slew the Philistine. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and it did, and did rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines, and slew them with a great slaughter. And they fled from him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. And as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand, and Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Milcal, David's wife, told him, saying, 
if thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Milcah let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. First Samuel, reading from verse 18 now, says, So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is in Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then went he also to Ramah, and came to a great well that is in Sekor. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Naoth in Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth in Ramah. And the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, Is Saul among the prophets? Hmm. Saul, we can say, can be declared officially mad. And this madness, we will now see how it was further displayed. Look at all the things he had done to David. He couldn't endure seeing David in his presence, so he sent him away from him, hoping that he would die when fighting the Philistines. But the Lord kept on prospering him, and with every prosperity and conquest of David, King Saul's envy was getting more and more. Now, he, he tried to kill David again. David was now with Samuel, and you can see what happened. All of them prophesied, if not for the intervention of the Lord, what would Saul have done? He might have even killed Samuel as well as David. Now, let us see how this was manifested further. David eventually saw that the time was coming for the New Moon Festival. And in this festival, all, all of um, King Saul's servants were supposed to be there. And David didn't want to go because he knew that if he goes there, Saul might use a javelin to strike him again. And he told Jonathan, I'm not coming. Please give me instruction to go away so that when your father asks of me, you will tell him that you sent me away and you will check his reaction and if his reaction is positive then we know that all is well but if he gets angry then you know that he still wants to kill me because jonathan was saying that his father had forgotten about it and didn't want to kill him anymore now in verse 27 it says and it came to pass in verse 24 it says and david hid himself in the field and when the new moon was come the king sat him down to eat meat and the king sat upon his seat as at other times even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought something has befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet? neither yesterday nor today. And Jonathan answered, and answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family had a sacrifice in the city, and my brother, he has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. 
then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan and he said unto him, Thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thy own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What has he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Wow! Our beloved friend Jonathan, so pure was his heart that he could never imagine that his father would even try to kill David, not to think of trying to kill him. So pure was his heart that he never imagined that this would happen. But now it was clear to him that his father was mad with envy, not just against David, but also against himself. There is no need for us to keep talking about the envy of King Saul and how it manifested himself, because even in us we see such things happen. And it is important that we identify envy for what it is. Do you know that many of us have envy in our hearts, but we don't identify it for what it is? This is a most satanic trait indeed. And as we read in our devotion, Conflict and Courage, page 165, paragraph 5, it says, It was not the man David who had done him no harm, against whom the king was contending. He was in controversy with the king of heaven. For when Satan is permitted to control the mind that will not be ruled by Jehovah, he will lead it according to his will until the man who is thus in his power becomes an efficient agent to carry out his designs. So bitter is the enmity of the great originator of sin against the purposes of God. So terrible is his power for evil that when men disconnect from God, Satan influences them and their minds are brought more and more into subjection until they cast off the fear of God and the respect of men and become bold and avowed enemies of God and of his people. God hates all sin. And when man persistently refuses all the counsel of heaven, he is left to deceptions of the enemy." End of quote. The idea of envy is that there is in us a strong inclination to look with dissatisfaction on the superior happiness and the prosperity of others. When you see yourself desiring to make what other people possess your own, you want their praise to be yours. There you see that is envy. There are people who are not happy when they see something that other people have and they are not comfortable with it. They cannot be happy. They're just feeling bad. Some even go as far as crying just because of what other people have. Is that a good spirit? Can you not be happy for what somebody has that you don't have? We want their prosperity to be ours at any rate. And what does envy do? It tries to deprive the people of whatever it is that they have that they wish that the person who is envious wishes they have, whether it is their praise or their due regard or their success. And how do they do it? They do it either by fraud or by speaking evil of them or by robbery. Envy shows itself in stealing, in lying, in killing, in, in adultery. All of that is an exhibition, exhibition of envy. It is this feeling which leads to the misrepresentations that we give of others. Because you are offended with what they have, you misrepresent them. You contend with them, you war with them. Competition, envy is there. And to that strong worldly ambition which makes us anxious to surpass others, which is so hostile to the humble and contented spirit of a Christian. 
See, if we can trace all the wars that's going on in this world, all the wars and contentions, and all the worldly planning that people do, their self-ambition, the source of it, it is all envy. The schemes and purposes of even Christians that do so much to contaminate us in our religion, it is this same thing called envy. Many will be surprised to find how much we can attribute to envy. We are pained when we see others more prosperous than us. We want what they have, though we have no right to it. And this leads us to the various evil and guilty means that we use to bring them down. We don't like them enjoying it, so we want to spoil their enjoyment, or we want to obtain it ourselves, or we want to show that whatever this person has, they don't really have it as much as you think they have it. It's not it's such a big deal. So when somebody seems to achieve something great, if you try to downplay it and feel like there's really nothing big about it, that's envy showing there. This purpose will be accomplished if we can obtain more than they have or if you can diminish what they actually possess. How do you diminish it? By speaking ill of them. Or make it look like whatever they have achieved or what is this they are doing is not, not such a big deal. Or, or by any statement which can, we can give discredit uh, this, this to whatever somebody else is doing. So that we can take their peace away from them or their happiness or their honor. Many of us have this in us. And we see it when we compare ourselves even with the world. We feel like, oh, what the world have? Uh, it's not such a big deal. All these things is just a show, show of envy. When you feel like you deserve to be paid more than another person in your job, that is envy. When you refuse to credit the good deeds of others, and sometimes envy wants to hold on to that passage in the Bible that says you should not flatter men. But because of envy, they claim, oh, I, I don't want to flatter the person. But you don't encourage the person that you are saying you don't want to flatter the person but the real reason is envy sometimes we see jealousy in us you see your brother or your sister who has something and you can easily say wow this thing you have is very good very nice very good and you, you're happy for them but under envy some will want to hide under the godliness they claim to they are being godly and that's why they don't want to encourage another person they claim they are being godly that's why they don't want to speak well of someone else and they say no i'm just i just don't want to flatter you you know the word of god says you shouldn't flatter anybody and that's why they refuse to credit the good deeds of others when you wish that their ability is yours to the point that you cannot give countenance to any good thing they do that is envy when you speak in such a manner to make light of other people's accomplishments envy making it apparent that you can also do what others have done and thereby giving that as a reason why you refuse to praise or why they don't deserve the praise or honor that they are getting why are you honoring this person what's the big deal they are doing i can also do it when you are when you are saying that envy is coming in you see in offices today when somebody comes into the office and a new person is employed or something and everybody's checking everybody's salary they want to know how much everybody's being paid and how much work they are doing they are comparing themselves with others and feeling why does this person deserve this much pay and it's not really about their own work if you present to your boss and say oh this is the amount of work i'm doing this is the amount of pay i deserve that's a different thing than saying that why is this person receiving this amount of pay how is it your business how much another person is receiving why does it bother you you find out that your envy is so bad that if you all were receiving equal pay you will not complain why are you complaining what your complaint is supposed to be is about your own personal work and say give me what my own work deserves if somebody else is getting something different it shouldn't concern you what you should be content with is am i getting what i get what i deserve if you get what you deserve then leave it what you deserve is not dependent on what another person is receiving envy seeks to bring others down to their level 
or to raise himself up, not necessarily by heroic efforts or exertion of oneself alone, but also by hoping that the other person being envied would not exert himself to greater efforts than ours. When an envious man is in power, he will seek to use his power to bring about the destruction of the one that he envies. Let us face it. There will be people who are better than us and more skillful than us or more beautiful or more handsome than ourselves. In God's work especially, we are, we are to go out or to do our own duty faithfully, not looking to another man's labors. Having said that, I can say more, but we will even talk about it because the envy of Saul is not ending in just this devotion. We keep talking about it. But we need to talk about the cure to envy. In Saul's case, as in every case, the solution is to care for others and to love them. But even though we know this, we cannot stop seeking our own glory less than others. The only solution to envy is this. We must behold Christ. Because it is in beholding Christ that we can solve our envious feelings. When you look at King Saul, the glory of Israel was not his concern. The glory of God was not his concern. The Philistines supposed to be his enemy. He claimed the Philistines were his enemies at first. But as time began to develop, you could realize who his real enemy was. It was not the Philistines. His enemy was anybody who seems to be stronger than himself. The Philistines were trying to exert themselves against Israel and Saul will fight them to show that he's stronger than them. But now there was somebody else who was fighting the Philistines more than himself and that is David. Now we know who, David, who Saul's enemy really was. It is not just the Philistines but rather it was anyone who would show themselves stronger than himself, who would take the glory and take the praise greater than himself. As far as Saul was concerned, there should be no other human being on this earth who would receive praise, who would receive the honor of God than himself or honor of the people, not even necessarily honor of God because it wasn't honor of God Saul was after. It was the honor of the people. And as far as there was somebody who was receiving it more than himself, Saul was not happy. The solution, like I said, is we need to look at other things. Let other people get the good things and not just us. But even though we know this, there's still that envy inside us. Until we behold Christ, that's when our envy will be corrected. So I want to read something, quite a long read. But it's when we compare what Christ had and what he left, and in the way I'm going to read it now, then we would ask ourselves a question. Why should I be seeking for my glory? Why should I be seeking for my honor? When somebody who had greater glory and greater honor left it all for my sake, why then am I envious of my fellow human being? That is what we need to ask ourselves. So I'm reading now from Review and Herald, July 5, 1887. It says, talking about Christ's humanity, it says, Now of the human, he was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He voluntarily assumed human nature, it was his own act, and by his own consent. He clothed his divinity with humanity. He was all the while as God, but he did not appear as God. He veiled the demonstrations of deity which had commanded the homage and called forth the admiration of the universe of God. He was God while upon earth, but he divested himself of the form of God and in its stead took the form and fashion of a man. Going on, we are told, He was God, but the glories of the form of God he for a while relinquished. Though he walked among men in poverty, scattering his blessings wherever he went, at his word legions of angels would surround their Redeemer and do him homage. 
but he walked the earth unrecognized, unconfessed, with but few exceptions by his creatures. The atmosphere was polluted with sin and curses, in place of the anthem of praise. His lot was poverty and humiliation. As he passed to and fro upon his mission of mercy to relieve the sick, to lift up the depressed, scarce a solitary voice called him blessed, and the very greatest of the nation passed him by with disdain. Contrast this with the riches of glory, the wealth of praise pouring forth from immortal tongues, the millions of rich voices in the universe of God in anthems of adoration. But he humbled himself and took mortality upon him. As a member of the human family, he was mortal, but as, as a God, he was the fountain of life to the world. He cooled in his divine person, ever have withstood the advances of death and refused to come under his dominion. But he voluntarily laid his life, that in so doing he might give life and bring immortality to light. He bore the sins of the world and endured the penalty which rolled like a mountain upon his divine soul. I want to stop now. What is being described here is all that Christ suffered. There is nothing glorious about this thing here, the suffering of Christ. Yet, he was God. If we will think about this, this humility, we will stop that desire for self-exaltation and that envy that we have towards our brother. I continue to read and it says, The whole treasure of heaven was poured out in one gift to save fallen man. He brought into his human nature all the life-giving energies that human beings will need and must receive. Wondrous combination of man and God. He might have helped his human nature with, to withstand the inroads of disease by pouring forth from his divine nature vitality and undecaying vigor to the human, but he humbled himself to man's nature. He did this that the scripture might be fulfilled and the plan was entered into by the Son of God, knowing all the steps in his humiliation that he must descend to make an expiation for the sins of a condemned, groaning world. What humility was this? It amazed angels. The tongue can never describe it. The imagination cannot take it in. The eternal word consented to be made flesh. God became man. It was a wonderful humility. But he stepped still lower. The man must humble himself as a man to bear insult, reproach, shameful accusations, and abuse. There seemed to be no safe place for him in his own territory. He had to flee from place to place for his life. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was denied by one of his most zealous followers. He was mocked. He was crowned with a crown of thorns. He was scourged. He was forced to bear the burden of the cross. He was not insensible to this contempt and ignominy. He submitted. But oh, he felt it. He felt the bitterness as no other being could feel it. He was pure, holy, and undefiled, yet arraigned as a criminal. The adorable Redeemer stepped down from the highest exaltation. Step by step, he humbled himself to die. But what a death! It was the most shameful, the most cruel, the death upon a cross as a malefactor. He did not die as a hero in the eyes of the world, loaded with honors as men in battle. He died as a condemned criminal, suspended between the heavens and the earth, died, as a, died a lingering death of shame, exposed to the tauntings and revilings of a debased, crime-loaded, profligate multitude. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. 
they shake their head. Psalm 22 verse 7. He was numbered with the transgressors. He expired amid derision. And his kinsmen, according to the flesh, disowned him. His mother beheld his humiliation, and he was forced to see the sword pierce her heart. He endured the cross, despised the shame. He made it of small account in consideration of the results that he was working out in behalf of not only the inhabitants of this speck of a world, but the, the whole universe, every world which God had created. Christ was to die as man's substitute. Man was a criminal under the sentence of death for transgression of the law of God as a traitor, a rebel. Hence, a substitute for man must die as a malefactor. Because he stood in the place of the traitors with all their treasured sins upon his divine soul. It was not enough that Jesus should die in order to fully meet the demands of the broken law, but he died a shameful death. The prophet gives to the world his words, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Now, in consideration of this, can men have one particle of exaltation? As they trace down the life and sufferings and humiliation of Christ, can they lift their proud heads as though they were to bear no trials, no shame, no humiliation? I say to the followers of Christ, look to Calvary and blush for shame for your self-important ideas. All this humiliation of the majesty of heaven was for guilty condemned man. He went lower and lower in his humiliation until there was no lower depths that he could reach in order to lift man up from his moral defilement. All this was for you who are striving for the supremacy, striving for human praise, for human exaltation. You who are afraid you will not receive all that difference, that respect from human minds that you think is your due. Is this Christ-like? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He died to make an atonement and to become a pattern for everyone who would be his disciple. Shall selfishness come into your hearts? And will those who set not before them the pattern Jesus extol your merits? You have none except as you have none except as they come through Jesus Christ. Shall pride be shall, shall pride be harbored after you have seen deity humbling himself? and then as man debasing himself till there was no lower point to which he could descend? Be astonished, O ye heavens, and be amazed, inhabitants of the earth, that such returns should be made to our Lord. What contempt, what wickedness, what formality, what pride, what efforts made to lift up man and glorify self, when the Lord of glory humbled himself, agonized and died the shameful death upon the cross in our behalf. Who is learning the meekness and lowliness of the pattern? Who is striving earnestly to master self? Who is lifting the cross and following Jesus? Who is wrestling against self-conceit? Who is setting himself in good earnest and with all his energies to overcome satanic envies, jealousies, evil surmisings and lasciviousness, cleansing the soul temple from all defilements and opening the door of the heart for Jesus to come in? Would that these words might have that impression upon minds, would that these words might have that impression upon minds that all who may read them would cultivate the grace of humility, be self-denying more disposed to esteem others better than themselves, having the mind and spirit of Christ to bear one another's burdens, 
Oh, that we might write deeply upon our hearts as we contemplate the great condescension and humiliation to which the Son of God descended, that we might be partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. All haughtiness, all self-exaltation must be put away from us and we learn the meekness and lowliness of Christ or we shall find no place in the kingdom of God. The life must be held with Christ in God. The anchor of the soul is to be cast into the rock cleft for us, that rock which bears up a ruined world. Let us keep these things in our mind. Pride of talent, pride of intellect cannot exist in hearts that are hid with Christ in God. There will be no strivings to let self stand forth conspicuously unless deity and humanity combined had stood in the gap to stay the sentence of a broken law. Its penalties would have fallen without abating a jot of his severity upon the sinful. It fell on Jesus the world's redeemer to give man another trial. Then let us humble ourselves and adore Jesus but never, never exalt self in the least degree. God forbid that we should foster in ourselves independence. Make haste that none of us occupy the fearful position of him for whom Christ died in vain. End of quote. Amen. It's a long read but I hope that it touches our hearts. Do you see your brother getting married or your sister getting married and you cherish feelings in your heart that you want to, you, you wish it was you and you're not happy? Do you hear of your brother or sister in a relationship? Because so many ladies are always about marriage, marriage, marriage. This lady, young lady, single lady, do you see your sister in a relationship and it bothers you and you want to spoil it? You want to say things to scatter it? but you, you give me religious reasons why it shouldn't work but your real reason is that you wish it was you and you're not happy that it is not you and you are trying to scatter you are in hatred and envy but you are not admitting it to yourself self-exaltation pride of intellect you feel oh I have better things than her why should it be her or why should it be him but I'm better than her in this and that and you are competing or you are competing with him too oh my very satanic trait very evil trait this is what King Saul had. He wasn't happy with another person's prosperity. Let us learn to be happy with other people's prosperity. Are you a minister and you are like Saul ministering as a king? But then there is that other minister like David who the Lord is doing the work through him and you are offended and you want to spoil his ministry. Oh my. You are not contending with man. You are contending with God. If that person is doing the work of God like David was, you are not contending with man, my brother and my sister. You are contending with God. As the Lord delivered David, he will also deliver his people who are subject to envy. But those who cherish envy in their heart, the Lord would have died for you in vain. Today, the Lord is calling us to repentance. And every day, he will continue to do that. And I pray that we all will heed that call. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, Forgive us for our envious feelings. What can I say more? I pray, Lord, that these words spoken shall have such a deep impression on all our hearts that we will cease to have envious feelings as we behold Christ, you who left all you had for our sakes. Help us, Lord, not to have any particle of self-exaltation and envy and pride in us. Please do this for us and take the glory in Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.